Good morning. It's a bit cold, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit cold. Um, I'm, I'm a bit loud, so I don't know if it's here or if it's there. Is it loud? Or is it because of that noise over there? All right. Amen. Well, I know I was prayed for, but just to calm me down, let me pray again. No, not really. Let's just pray anyway. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for the way you are dealing with us and helping us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to continue to teach, and I hope I can conclude today, on how to live in continuous victory, how to live a victorious, holy life, how to live this Christian life well. Now, there are probably thousands, I reckon probably an infinite amount of keys from the word of God that you could really use. And every key has facets to it. And I want to focus on seven like we did last week. Um, so I want to continue to focus on the seven that I began last week and see if we can conclude today. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 22. He said, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now we break these down as seven different keys. And uh, we said that they are really commands or directives that the Holy Spirit gives us through the Apostle Paul. And they are not optional. As a child of God, if you are serious about being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, these imperatives are not optional. They are essential for you if you want to be the kind of Christian you're called to be. Now, last week we dealt with three of them. The first three, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. We dealt with that. We said each of these directives, really you could say rejoice always for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Pray without ceasing or always keep praying because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then everything give thanks because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now we're going to look at the next four if I can. If not, then I will conclude it the next time I teach. So the next one is do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. Now, I'm looking forward to this particular one because I think that there is a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to um, what this actually means. As a young Christian, we used to say to each other, check the spirit or don't quench the spirit and stuff like that. Maybe you new folk, you don't use such language. But uh, the New Living Translation says it like this, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Or don't put him out. Don't allow him to be. Literally means don't extinguish the Holy Spirit. Don't let him stop doing whatever he is doing. Now, many Christians see this type of directive in a very religious context and fail to understand what Paul was really getting at. So, for instance, Christians who see, let's say if we have a worship service and the service is going on, and then we have to stop because of the time. Some people will interpret that and say, now you're quenching the Holy Spirit. Or if, let's say, 
uh, there's a, uh, something is happening, and then we have to preach the word. People say, stop the, you're stopping the flow of the spirit by preaching the word. But the question I ask people is, did the Holy Spirit tell us to preach the word? Did he give a directive? Did he say, on Sunday, preach on this subject? Well, if he did, and then the service is flowing, didn't he know in advance that I was, we were supposed to preach? You know, so, so how would it be quenching the Holy Spirit if now we are obeying him by ending one aspect of the service in order to fulfill another obligation? Surely it is not that. So how do we quench or stifle the Holy Spirit? And what does this really mean? How can human beings stop God, so to speak? Um, does this do not quench the spirit? Does it mean that we just allow a person to flow as they feel led by the spirit? You know, some of us, we, we want this, isn't it? Just, let's just flow. And it's good to flow. Say to your neighbor, it's good to flow. It's good to flow. You're looking at me very interestingly. <laughs> what does this you know, um, not quenching the spirit, allowing the spirit to flow. What is it really talking about? Now, there are several negative things that we can do that actually will affect the Holy Spirit's influence. And so really, when we're talking about do not quench the spirit, what we really, or what the spirit is really inferring is that we should not allow his influence to cease. We should allow him to continue to have his way. We should allow the Holy Spirit's leadership and direction to continue in our lives. Now, why is this important to live a victorious Christian life? Because you cannot live this Christian walk without the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not supposed to be a mystery to us. One of the, the benedictions says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship or communion with the Holy Spirit should be with us now and forevermore. It is supposed to be as real and as tangible and as normal as the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we experience or are supposed to experience every day. It's supposed to be as normal as the love of God that all of us have experienced. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit, communion with the Holy Spirit, intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Let me say this to you. He is the one who is the, the, he's the one who actually always speaks to you. Very rarely, in fact, probably most Christians have never heard God the Father speak to them. In my 35 years of pilgrimage, I have heard him clearly once, only once, and that was in a dream even, where I heard the Father's voice. The Lord Jesus, most Christians have never heard the Lord Jesus speak to them at all. Most Christians have never, I've seen the Lord Jesus in visions maybe two or three times, and once I heard him speak clearly, that is it in vision form. What am I saying? But all of us have heard God speak to us. And it is the Holy Spirit who is the one who's actually speaking to us. Now, he comes to glorify Christ. So at times you think it's the Lord Jesus speaking to you, but it's actually the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Amen. So let me just um, touch on a few things that can really affect his influence over our lives. I'll just rush through them and then dwell on them, um, dwell on them a bit more with some scripture. First of all, indiscipline with the actual flow of the Holy Spirit will cause the Holy Spirit to be grieved or stifled. Secondly, insensitivity to the Holy Spirit's influence. First of all, indiscipline. In other words, we feel him, but we don't allow 
other things to be in play whereby, for instance, let's say I have a prophetic word and God gives me a word and it's the Holy Spirit who's giving me a word. There are still protocols I have to observe. I can't just give the word. I can't just prophesy or give a tongue or give an interpretation. There are still direct, directions or protocols or guidelines that has to be followed. So at times, the Holy Spirit might be influencing us, but if we are not disciplined in how we allow him to flow, it can actually stifle him. Secondly, being insensitive to the Holy Spirit's influence. When he wants to tell us something, when he's leading us to do something, but we refuse to be sensitive to him. And uh, let me give you an example of how the Holy Spirit will tell you to do something. When you want to do the wrong thing and your conscience kicks in, or a thought will come to you that is foreign to your normal way, but that thought is actually telling you to kill your flesh. That's often the Holy Spirit speaking through your human spirit to lead you. Now, you can be insensitive to his influence. Beloved, don't think of the Holy Spirit's influence in the context of a service. Think of his influence in the context of your everyday. This directive is given to the church, not in the context of simply when we gather together, but how we are supposed to live. In everything, we are to give thanks. In every circumstance, we are to give thanks. We are to pray without ceasing. We are to always rejoice. And we are to never quench the Holy Spirit. It's the context of everyday life. Are you listening to me? So we can allow him to be quenched by being insensitive to his influence. Thirdly, we can allow him to be quenched by corrupt words. Things we say, and we'll look at that later on, things we say that are not wholesome can grieve him and can quench him. And fourthly, a lifestyle that undermines the character of Christ can also cause him to be quenched. If we are living contrary to what he expects of us at our stage of development, that can also cause him to be quenched. Now, let me say this about that. It's not about rules. Say, don't do this, don't go here. It's not either. Because for me, the things that the Spirit would expect of me at this level of the journey that I've been in 35 plus years, he's not going to expect that of a young believer who just gave their heart to the Lord, or even somebody who's 10 years in the Lord. He's not going to expect that. And so I, by I might be living a morally good life, a morally good life, where I don't swear anymore, I don't steal notice anymore, I don't swear anymore, I don't steal anymore, I don't lust anymore. What anymore don't I do? Let me use your example. What don't you do anymore? Huh? What's that? You don't get angry anymore. Hey! Realms of glory. I'm talking about you, not arbitrary something. You, what don't you do anymore? Huh? Did you say tithe? You don't tithe anymore. <laughs> lie. You don't lie anymore. Are you sure? Okay, yeah, you don't lie anymore. You don't lie anymore. So, so some of these things are, are, are basic things, right? That once you give your heart to Jesus, you shouldn't lie anymore, actually, right? To be honest, it doesn't mean you can be 10 years or 10 seconds in the Lord. You shouldn't lie anymore. Let's just be clear. It's like saying, I, I'm not as developed in you, so I still occasionally fornicate. No, you don't occasionally fornicate. Don't fornicate anymore. That one is normal, normal Christianity. Uh, 
So let me be clear. I'm talking, but there are certain things. For instance, take smoking. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible about smoking. And a lot of black majority churches, it's taboo. It's a big sin. It's close to fornication. No, there's nothing in the Bible about smoking. You can smoke. It's like drinking Coca-Cola. There's nothing in the, hey, Pastor Joe, what do you say? There's nothing in the Bible. So some of you are going to go, good, now I can light it up. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. You see, because your conscience condemns you. But now a, a believer who's just coming to the Lord, who's a chain smoker, the last thing they need to hear from you, now that you've given your life to Christ, you can't smoke anymore. No, that's none of your business. That's between them and their Lord. But if I came up here and did a bit of that before I preached, I think all of you will walk out and those online will just log out. That's it. End of story. See, so it, it, it is different. So there are certain things in the Bible that are relative to you and the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you about those things and your choices can undermine his influence in your life concerning the things that are unique to you okay and then another thing will, that will quench the spirit is disobedience to his directive where he tells you something and you say no how many of you've done that before <laughs> a lot of you have done it before we've all done it before he tell us something and we say no I learned very early in my walk with God to be totally honest. So at times I'll say to him as a younger Christian, and again, the adjective younger, I'll say to him, now we both know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it, so please forgive me, kind of in advance forgiveness. I know it's wrong, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to lie, I'm going to do it. It's wrong, I'm not going to make up a story. We know it is wrong. Father, behold your servant as I do this thing. So you say, hey, listen, whether I tell God that or not, he knows I'm going to do it. But then I will add, please help me to stop. Please help me to stop. Now you want to know what that is? I'm not telling you. That's between me and God. But I, I kept saying, please tell me to stop. And then one day I stopped. But I learned to be honest with God. When I was doing the wrong thing, are you listening to me? See, a lot of Christians deceive themselves. They'll say, I will never do it again. They're like children. If you have children, your children will tell you this, Dad, give me one more chance and I'll never do this again. How many of you have children you've heard that story before? It's a story. It's a story. They'll say, I'll never do it again. Now, if you are a parent and you're stupid enough to believe that child, <laughs> then I'm sorry, you're not very smart because the child is sincere. They are convinced they'll never do it again, but you know they are going to do it, and they're going to do it again. So you deal with them with where they are at. You don't say, no, I'm not forgiving you because even though you're saying that, I know you're going to do it. No. You deal with them where they are at. You know they're going to do it again, but you deal with them where they are at. In that moment, they're convinced that they're convinced, so you go along with them. How much more God? God deals with you where you are at. So in your moment where you think, I will never swear again, I will never lie again, I will never fornicate again. <laughs> a young church full of lively people like this. Fornication is a big thing. Let's just be real. It is. It is. Look, let's just be real. So, in that moment, you say, I'll never do it again. God deals with you where you are at. But if you keep saying to him, but help me to change, help me to change, help, then over time you see the grace of God. Amen. All right, so, we can avoid quenching or grieving the Holy Spirit when we learn to follow clear guidelines in the Word of God
uh, about how we are supposed to live and the things we are supposed to do. And also we can avoid quenching um, the Holy Spirit by letting him lead us. Letting him guide us. So again, let me say this. Don't think about the quenching of the Holy Spirit in the context of a service. That's just a very small part. Of course, it involves that as well. But it's a very small part. The most important part is when you leave the service. You know, it's when you leave the service. And as a pastor, that is what I am concerned about. Making sure that you learn not to stifle his influence. All right, I'm going to come back to some of these points later, but I want to move um, to the next part of the directives that Paul gives. He says, do not despise prophecies. Do not despise prophecies. Or do not scoff at prophecies. In other words, do not treat prophecy with contempt or with little regard or ignore the prophetic words spoken over your life. Now, what are prophecies? Prophecies is when the Holy Spirit will give somebody a word and they will share that word under his influence. So they speak a word into your life as that word is influenced by the Holy Spirit. And that word can be about the future, it can be about the past, it can be about the present. But if that word is influenced by the Holy Spirit, and the person is speaking to you, then you have to take that word seriously. And he says, do not despise prophecies. Now, many commentators, or some commentators say that the Thessalonian church was a very prophetic church. And it was in that context that Paul was speaking to them. Um, again, we'll look at that uh, later on if we have time. And then the third directive is test all things. Say test all things. In other words, don't be gullible. Don't be gullible. You know, at times, at times, we allow ourselves to be gullible. You know, the guy, you can see that the thing this person is saying or doing is wrong. But because they are called Pastor Joe, we say, oh, you know, we, we know his heart. No, it's wrong. If it's Pastor Joe, it's still wrong. Wrong is wrong. And at times, believers, when we see something happening, Initially, there will be a check in our spirit. But then what will happen is we'll then say, oh, I don't want to be judgmental. No, that's wrong. If you see anything, like, if, if you, let's say, if I, God forbid, if I came to your house, I came to your house, and you said, Pastor Joe, you can sit here. In fact, you say, my house is your house. You come, I come to you and say, Pastor Joe, my house is your house. I say, really? My house is your house. Okay, you see, you see that, 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 um, then I walk up into your bedroom. So what are you doing? You said, you said, you said, your house is my house. Normally, I, when I go, I like to go into my bedroom. So I'm going into my bedroom now because your house is my house. You think, oh, Pastor Joe. I said, and, I, I, and then, I, God forbid, this is a sight you don't want to see. I start taking my clothes off. And then I jump on your bed like how I would do at home. He said, what, 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 what do you do, Pastor Joe? But you said... Your house is my, my house. You wouldn't feel right. There'll be something, mm, something weird. It's a screw loose. Now, would you say, well, because it's Pastor Joe, it, it's probably okay. What would you say? You say, listen, my friend, get out, get out of my house. Now you need to get out of my house. Why? There are certain things you will not tolerate in your house. 
But, there are certain, but why do you allow yourself to tolerate certain things in the house of God? Things that you can see are clearly wrong. Sometimes a guy is preaching, a guy like me is preaching, and we start to say things that are clearly wrong. And you say, oh, it, it must be okay. It's not okay. Because there is something in you that the Holy Spirit has put there that allows you to recognize truth and error. We'll touch on this more if we have time. So we are to test all things. Now, also, it's in the context of how you are living your life. Test everything that comes your way. Test everything that comes your way. At times, you know, people, when people want to get married, they pray prayers like, Lord, bring someone my way, you know. Sometimes, let, let's just be real. If they fancy someone, they'll pray something like, Lord, if it's your will for them to marry me, as I walk down here, let me meet them. I've, has anyone ever prayed that kind of prayer? And then, wow, you meet them. So, huh, God is speaking. God is speaking. Then you, then you say, okay, yes, Lord, I need more conversation. Okay, this Sunday when I come to church, if it's your will, let them sit next to me. And lo and behold, the usher brings them and sits next to you. Boom. Hey, this sister is going to be my wife from Barabosha. This is a snag. She doesn't even know you exist. So then what happens is, you decide, Lord, if it's your will, let me meet them again at the bus stop, and you meet them at the bus stop. Hey! God is moving. So you say, I'm going to propose. So you go to her and say, sister, listen to me, I'm a man of action. I don't believe in wasting time. I've been praying a lot about you. The Spirit of God has spoken to me. You are to be my wife. She broke her by at the tongue to, you know, spice it up. So the sister now looks at you and says, I don't feel the same way. Say, well, God has spoken. Now, at that point, certain things have to kick in. Scripture says, test all things. First of all, the Bible says two cannot walk together unless there is harmony. There's clearly no harmony. You like them, they don't like you. So there's no harmony. Right? And secondly... In the mouth of two or three witnesses, you are one witness, but the other person has to be a witness. There has to be a witness in them that they like you. You can't force yourself on them. This ain't no arranged marriage business. You can't. Now, you see, at times people end up marrying full of doubt because they think maybe God spoke. After all, this man is a very spiritual man, so maybe God did speak. No, you are being a stupid person. Don't marry that fool. Don't marry them. Don't marry them because you don't have the test of everything. There is no agreement in your spirit. I like to say it like this. When people tell me God told them I should do something, I say, fantastic. As soon as he tells me, I'll do it. I'm waiting for him to tell me. And when he does, I'll do it. Are you listening? One day when this church started, some guy came in and he said to me, wow, Joseph, you, your church is amazing. You're doing fantastic work. Oh, amazing church. What a great man of God. I thought, oh, wow, he's really praising me. And then there was a catch. And I've got a word for your church. I thought, all right, all right, here we go. So I said, sure, sure, no problem. You know, as soon as the Lord tells me that, I'll let you preach. He didn't even stay for the service. He left. Why? Because I hadn't got the witness. Test everything. Test everything. Say to your neighbor, test everything. If we have time, I'll go into that. In fact, let me just touch on how you test everything, and then I'll go back to the first point. First of all, does the thing you're hearing, does it agree with the testimony of Jesus? 
In other words, does it represent what Jesus is like? Secondly, is it in harmony with the fruit of the Spirit? The thing, whatever it is that you believe or you are seeking to do, does it violate any aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, kindness, um, temperance, self-control, all those things. Does it violate any of that? Because one of the things that I can tell with me when I'm not quite right is when I'm hasty. I just want to do this thing. I just want to do it. It's a violation of the fruit of the Spirit of faithfulness and self-control. If you cannot wait for something before it happens and you have to rush into it, it's normally a sign that it is not from God. Third principle is, does it violate the characteristics of the heavenly wisdom? There is a heavenly wisdom. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, um, gentle, full of good fruits, etc. There are certain characteristics of the heavenly wisdom. It's easy to be entreated. And I find with myself, if I'm talking, if I'm arguing with somebody, and they say a point that I haven't seen, and I start resisting that point, I see, uh uh, there's something wrong here. Because if I'm talking to somebody about something, whether it's even from another religion, or another persuasion of doctrine, but they say something that makes sense to me, but goes against what I think. I have to be able to say, you know what? I never saw it like that. But if I find that I have to then counter it with something to justify my position, I say, uh uh, Joe, something is wrong. Why? Because the wisdom that is from above is easy to be entreated. That's one of its characteristics. It's easy to be persuaded, it's easy to be entreated. Once you show it wisdom, it says, yes. So these are some of the things. So that, that, whatever it is that you believe God is saying, does it have, does it violate the characteristics of the heavenly wisdom? Does it undermine orthodox doctrine? In other words, the doctrines of the church that have stood the test of time, the doctrine of God, doctrine of holiness, doctrine of uh, salvation, all those things, the thing that you believe God has showed you, does it undermine any of it? So when somebody comes and says, there is another testament of Jesus Christ. You know, it's a false doctrine. Or that uh, the apostles didn't have the full truth. There's now a new truth. You know that's a false doctrine. Just reject it. No matter what sign, no matter what miracle, no matter what power they manifest, reject it as a lie from the pit of hell. Also, does it undermine clear biblical directives? In other words, it may stand the test of orthodox doctrines, but... There are certain practices, certain things that clearly are against the word of God. For instance, there are some preachers who preach something like this. They'll say something like this. If you're married to somebody, and before you got saved, you married them, you married them, and then you got saved, you can divorce them. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Only one brother agrees. If you're married... Whether you got saved before you married or not, once you're married, that is the will of God for your life. Let's move on. <clears throat> also, does it encourage sinful behavior? Does the thing that you're dealing with, does it encourage sinful behavior? You will be surprised how many things in the church today encourages people to sin. So, for instance, I was talking about smoking here. If you heard it like this, go and smoke, then you heard it wrong. I'm not saying go and smoke. I'm not saying that at all. But if you heard it like this, learn to allow the Holy Spirit to control your life and walk in holiness. Then you heard it correct. And then does it promote exclusivity? 
within the body of Christ. In other words, does he give you this sense of, I have the truth and the rest of the church doesn't? I can see something that the rest of the church doesn't have. You know, in our younger days, Austin will tell you, different ones will tell you, we used to, and it's all part of the process of growing up, we used to think we had some truths that the rest of the church didn't have until you grew up and realized, they knew this thing a long time ago, right? But then, I also noticed that in my old church in particular, there were those who had a view that caused them to become judgmental of the rest of the church. Any doctrine that causes you to despise or be judgmental or feel superior in your knowledge base to other Christians has error in it. Has error in it. Now, when you are poisoning a rat or a mouse, you don't put poison there. You put good food there or a bait and you add a little bit of poison. They eat the thing and eat the poison and don't realize it until they're dead. And that's how false doctrines and deception works. It's laced with a lot of truth, but there's a poison in it that will kill you slowly. So you have to learn to test everything. Say to your neighbor, test everything. All right. And then the last thing he says, um, hold fast to what is good. Abstain, sorry, abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from every form of evil. What does that mean? It means abstain from... what it is and I need your help don't try and make it out like actually you know like pastor said we're all in the journey you know <laughs> hey, at times what people claim I've said <laughs> and so this is my little cross that I have to also this ain't no cross that ain't no cross cross has no sin in it there ain't no cross 
That's called sin. Ain't no cross. And uh, this is my burden. Ain't no burden. No, no, this is sin. Call it, don't, don't. it's ain't no your burden. No, no, it's ain't no your burden. This is, this is my burden and, you know, as for me, we all have our way. No, no, no. Anything that is wrong, evil, sinful, is not for you. Was dealt with on the cross. Can you say amen? amen. Now, there is a difference between being tempted. Say temptation. As for temptation, it comes. Ah, temptation always looks nice, you know. See, there are certain things when you are tempted with, you wish it was okay to do. Austin agrees. Yeah, there are certain things like that. There are certain things when the temptation comes, certain environment, certain people, certain, I forget food, that's what food is easy. Certain, I'm talking about certain temptations that are sinful. Evil, say evil, evil. Yeah. I'm, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the gray areas. The gray areas we're clear about is subjective. I'm talking about things that are evil. They are wicked. They are bad. Like taking people's money. Stealing. Look, I'm telling you. Hey, I don't know what kind of time frame you live in, but your time is really going very fast. About three minutes ago, it was 15 minutes. And now, five minutes. Now, this time, we come back to reality. We have another 15 minutes left in Jesus. Oh, what is this? No, 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 no. But your time is going fast. Okay, I'll get 10 more minutes and then I'm done. Hmm. Yes. So, what was I saying? What was I preaching about anyway? Temptations, yes. You have to recognize them for what they are. This thing is evil. Not it's my weakness. Don't call it my weakness, uh, uh, my cross. It ain't no cross. This thing is evil that you like doing. Yeah, call it that. This thing that I am involved in is wrong, but I like it. Be honest. That's how you begin to get free. Don't, don't lie. At times, Christians are lying to themselves. This isn't really sinful. God knows my heart. What rubbish? What do you mean God knows your heart? God knows the devil's heart. What rubbish? God knows your heart. It's irrelevant. The issue that you are dealing with is sin. Call it that. Say to yourself and say to God and say to the devil, we all know this is sinful. We all know I want to do it. I need help. That's it. Abstain from every kind of evil. Say to your neighbor, every kind of evil. Yeah. So, for instance, some of us, the evil might be swearing. We like to say profane words. You know, hey, yes, yes. Some of us, some of us, we like saying profane words. We like swearing. How many of you find it enjoyable when you swear from time to time? A nice cathartic release when you say something. How many of you at times, look at you, even there seems to be some lying going on right now. But you have to call it for this. Sometimes, sometimes I find that I get tempted and I want to yield to rage. They call it road rage. I want to, you're driving. And, you, you, and, 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 and I, before I even know, I say, stop it. I just come, oh Lord, you see yourself. It's just, I say, stop it. And I say, oh no. Or I'm it's like, idiot, 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 idiot. Jot, just jot, jot, 
I'm sorry, Lord. What am I saying? You have to see things for what they are. This is how you live in victory. This is how you live in victory. Not making up stories. Lying to yourself. Lying to the devil. And he's happy when you lie to him. They say, in sin, devil. They say, of course, it's not sin. Carry on. <laughs> All right. Now, because of my time, I want to go back to one of the key areas that um, I think is important. In fact, all of them are important, but I want to do third point, test all things. Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. 1 John 4, 1 to 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. Now that word confess literally means to assent to or to acknowledge something. Um, in other words, you align with something. So, he says that every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. This is what we are referring to by the testimony of Jesus. This is you recognizing that whatever it is, one of the ways I test the spirit is to see does this thing align with who the Lord Jesus is? Does this thing align with who the Lord Jesus is? What he represents. It's not simply saying Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Even Muslims say that. It's not simply saying it is aligning with who Jesus of Nazareth is, was, continues to be. We must learn as Christians to recognize that if the thing undermines our Lord Jesus, it's not of God. No matter how convincing it is, it's not of God. Also, John chapter 10, verses 7 to 8, and also verse 27, shows us clearly that as a child of God, you have the ability to be able to recognize when something is of the Lord and when it's not. John chapter 10, verse 7 to 8 says this. Then Jesus said to them again, Most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. My sheep, verse 27, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So, he says that he is the door. In other words, he is the way by which we are supposed to enter into life and into the kingdom of God. It's our Lord Jesus. He said anybody that came before, everyone else that came before him, that presented another option was a thief and a robber. So that's, he's talking about all the other religions before. All the other religions before. He's not talking about those, those who pointed to him like Abraham and Moses and and the rest of those guys are prophets of old. He's talking about any other religion before that pointed to another way than him. Was a thief and a robber. And he said, but the sheep did not hear them. The sheep did not hear him. In other words, those that belonged to him did not hear him. And in this is the great mystery of election. 
those that God chose from the foundation of the world, which is you and I. Verse 27, he says this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Beloved, if you belong to Jesus, you are able to recognize his voice. This is the point I want to stress. You are able to recognize his voice because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Jesus. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. This is one of the ways how we learn to live in continuous victory. By not quenching the Holy Spirit, by testing everything and recognizing when Jesus is speaking and then following it. Now, many believers, like I said earlier, shut off their discerning abilities by a false sense of giving others the benefit of the doubt. So at times, somebody will say something to you and you don't feel right about it. But rather than you say, nah, that's a bit weird. Now, I have learned to do this. People will say stuff to me, and if I try to persuade them and they, they don't listen, I say, cool, you, you believe what you want to believe. Let's hope it was it. But me, there is no way I'm going to follow that. That is just odd. I don't believe that. That is wrong. And that has protected me over the years from a lot of deception. Don't chuck away your ability to discern error. In your own life, first of all, it's especially important in your life. I have seen many times error in my life. One day I was talking to the Lord about some of the challenges that I face as a pastor trying to help people in error. And he said to me, I said, Lord, what is the problem? And he said to me, Joe, sometimes when you are teaching, you teach from a wrong spirit. You allow arrogance to influence how you teach. And what that does is it, it polarizes those who are not where you are because they pick up that arrogant spirit and they cannot relate to it. So even though you are right, you are wrong. So I had to repent. I said, thank you, thank you. You have to be brutal first with yourself and gentle with everyone else. We like to be brutal with everyone and gentle with ourselves. Yeah. So, as a child of God, you will be able to hear his voice. Make no mistake about it. Don't let anyone deceive you. You can recognize his voice. And if that thing does not agree with Jesus, you have to approach it with caution, regardless of how convincing or anointed that person may appear to be. And this is one of the reasons why at times there are certain guys on the internet, I just, I just know they are poison. Their doctrine is poisonous because what it does is it creates friction within the body of Christ. It undermines the spirit of Christ. But because they have a lot of knowledge and they have a lot of standing in the body of Christ, people are very reluctant to call it what it is. But some of it is just plain error. Some of it is just wrong. It's just wrong. It's just, some of it is even evil. Calling things that are of God of the devil is a very serious thing to do. Yeah. Another scripture I want you to see about how you recognize the spirit of, um, of what God is saying and what God is doing is in that principle which is, does it violate the characteristics of the heavenly wisdom? James chapter 3 verse 17. And I would encourage you to use this verse as a diagnosis on yourself. 
Because this is what I use on myself. Like, even when I am dealing with people, even in my relationships, even with my children, when at times my children tick me off. Huh. And it's like, oh, man, I have to allow this to speak to me. The wisdom that is from above is first pure. It is then peaceable. It is gentle. It is willing to yield. Are you willing to yield? Do you know that stubbornness is the same as witchcraft? It's on the same level as witchcraft. So in the next five minutes, as I bring this to a conclusion, stubbornness is on the same level as witchcraft. It is full of mercy and good fruits. It's without partiality. Say without partiality. You know we are very partial when it comes to ourselves. We always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. You should know my heart. Sometimes people say to me, Pastor, you should know my heart. You know I didn't mean it. I said, how do I know you? How do I know you didn't mean it? You said, yeah, but you know me. Yeah, I know you and I heard you. Yeah, but you should know, you should know what I'm like. Well, I'm sorry. I can only go by what you did. You slapped me and it hurt. So I didn't think it was nice. I didn't, it didn't look like an accident when you went slap. And it's like, I, you know, I didn't mean to hurt you. What, you. what do you mean you didn't? It hurt. Can I do the same to you? You see, at times we like to give ourselves the benefit of that. After we slap someone, we say, you should understand, I didn't know it would hurt you that badly. But then when they did it to us and they said, oh, but you should understand, you said, now nah, two wrongs don't make a right. That's what we say. And it's also without hypocrisy. What's that? It's not two-faced. It doesn't pretend. If there is one thing that has infected the pulpit, it's pretense. We lie. We preachers at times, we lie. We don't tell people the truth. We make out like we're supermen. Meanwhile, we're struggling. Are you still here? We need to tell the truth. But tell the truth first to yourself about yourself. This is how you become free. This is how you learn to be free. You put a scalpel on your heart. You allow the spirit to search you. David said, search me, O Lord, and know my thoughts. He said, try me and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me to your path everlasting. Do you want to pray that prayer? Lord, try me out and see if there's any wicked way. My friend, he starts to show you. He says, ah, God will allow your children to show you the wicked way in you. As they irritate you, say, hey, my friend, if you don't stop, I will slap you. If you. Christians shouldn't talk like that. My daughter was here. She would say, yes, dad, in Jesus' name. Christians shouldn't talk like that. But times, you, you see, you see in your own self things that are not right. And you're gentle with yourself, but when you see it in others, no, no, no. Learn to test yourself and hold fast to what is good. So in conclusion, I challenge you to walk in these seven keys. I've managed to conclude this thing. Um, I haven't done the job that I'd like to, but I want to challenge you to walk in these seven keys. The first one is rejoice always. Say to your neighbor, rejoice always. In the good times, in the bad times, when things are going well, when things are not so good. And this journey that we're on, there are many times things are not so good. Rejoice always. Second one is pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Don't give up praying. Keep praying. The thing that you are wanting to see in your life. If there's one thing I know about the Lord Jesus, 
that has helped me over the years is don't stop praying about the things you want to see change in your life. Don't stop. You will see many inconsistencies in your journey. But don't stop. Always aim to be like the Lord. Say, Lord, help me. Help me. This Christian journey, you will make mistakes. You will fall. Ah, you see, I've fallen thousands upon thousands of times. 35 plus years is a long time to do a lot of falling. This is a product of a lot of falling that has been able to stand because of the mercies and grace of God. But you keep asking him, help me, help me, help me. That's pray without ceasing. Don't stop praying. Third thing, in everything, give thanks. Everything, give thanks. Learn to give thanks in everything and practice it. So I, have, I, I, I train myself. Anytime I hurt myself, I say, thank you, Lord. I heard one preacher say, that's just a pathetic thing to do. How can you thank God when you're in pain? Mind your own business. Each to their own. That's what I've learned to do. When I hurt myself, I say, oh, thank you, Lord. Father, I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you thanks. Because in the olden days, that was not what would come out. All kinds of expletives will come out and profanity will come out. So, uh, so, that, so learn to give, take your neighbor, give thanks in everything. In everything. And for everything. For the person you married, give thanks. For the person you didn't marry, give thanks. Yeah. Yeah, give thanks. Give thanks. Sometimes many, many, many husbands especially don't like to give thanks for their wife that they've got. They like to think, give thanks for other people's wives. Thank God for Pastor Aisha. My friend, mind your own business. I thank my wife, God for my own wife. Don't be, don't be talking about somebody else's wife. No, no, no. No, 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 no. If only my wife, no, 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 don't go there, don't go. If only you want to, only one. Learn to give thanks for your, your own situation. Give thanks, my friend. Let's all give thanks for our own. Hey, that's what life is like. Learn to give thanks. Say to your neighbor, give thanks for your own. Look at Pastor Joe's children. If you were, no, 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 my friend. No, 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 don't go there. Don't go there. Don't compare your children to my children. You are not in my house. Don't compare. We are all doing the discipleship thing. Give thanks in everything. Give thanks that you put away glory. You can eat and put away. Give thanks. Hallelujah. Some people is starving. Say, oh, if only I was sleeping. No, 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 no. Give thanks for who you are. And if you're losing weight, give thanks. And if you're putting it on, give thanks. Hey. What's the other one? What's point four? What's point four? What's that? Do not quench the spirit. That's the one we've been... Hop, hopping on. Take to your neighbor, don't quench your spirit. Yeah, I hope you know what that is referring to now. Let him influence you and lead you. What's the next one? Do not despise prophecies. Treat it with seriousness. I couldn't touch that one properly. The next one, what's the next one? Test all things, hold fast to what is good. When you test everything, the bottom line is you hold fast to what is good. The thing that is good, you hold on to it. But what is bad, you chuck it. And last but not least, abstain from every form of evil, every appearance. If you do this, the enemy will have a hard time destroying your life. He will not be able to. Let us pray. And as we pray, we're going to um, partake of communion. I'm going to pray over the communion elements and how I want us to do it. The ashes, ashes, if you can help us, if you can get them to come from the back first, they come and take and then they go back to their seats. Uh, if the worship team can come, we're going to just prepare our hearts and just uh, make sure that we are...
in the right frame of mind to partake of communion. Those of you at home, uh, if you are able to take communion, every week we take communion. So if you're able to do it at home, that would be great. Um, have bread and have the wine. So just feel free. If you want to partake of communion, just feel free. Come and take the bread and come and take the wine uh, right now. Ashes, can you just help quickly? And let's begin to prepare our hearts. Yeah? From the back there, also. Guys, from the back, come this way as well, please. Don't take it yet. We're going to pray. As we are preparing our hearts, I want you to focus on the Lord. have your Bibles or if you can have it up, turn to 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, Father, we thank you for the bread. And we thank you for the body of our Lord Jesus Christ that was broken for us, that was crushed for us, so that we can be made whole. Lord, as we take this bread, we ask that the power that is in the stripes of our Lord will continue to bring healing and restoration to us in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. Father, we thank you for the blood of our Lord Jesus that was shed for us. Lord, as we take this cup together, we ask that the power that's in the blood of Jesus will continue to wash us clean. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's take the wine together. Why don't we stand and begin to worship the Lord? Sing that song out. How great. 